But uh, hey, we started a, a new message series a few weeks ago called The Comeback. And uh, man, this series has been so exciting. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed preaching it every single week. God has just worked and he's done marvelous things. But this series is all about how you can come back from anything. You can come back from anything. And in this series, we've talked about how to come back from death like Jesus did when he rose from the grave. We talked about that on Easter Sunday. We talked about how you can come back from doubt like Thomas did. Last week, we talked about how you can come back from a disappointing decision in your life, a moment of disappointment like David did when he fell into sin with Bathsheba. He came back from that. and His life was not over. He was able to come back and continue to lead the way that he was called to lead. And today, as we close out this series, The Comeback, I want to talk about how you can come back from the place of discouragement. When you find yourself in the middle of a discouraging situation, that does not have to be the end of your story. You can experience a comeback from discouragement. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us through his word today. Father, we thank you once again because your presence is here. Lord, you're in this room and we give you praise for that, God. We're not just going through the motions today, Lord. We're here to learn from you. And so, God, I pray that you would speak clearly to us through your word. I pray, God, that our hearts and our minds would be open to receive it, Lord, and it would, it would produce a harvest of righteousness in our lives, Lord, that we would become more like Jesus for having spent time in your word today. We give you praise and thanks for it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Well, we've all felt discouragement before, right? You know what I'm talking about when I say discouragement? Have you been there? You know, it happens when things don't go your way. Maybe someone else gets the promotion at work that you feel like you've earned. That's discouraging. You think uh, maybe you found, you found your dream job online and you applied for it and you were so excited and you didn't even get a call back for an interview. Maybe you thought you aced the paper, but the teacher disagreed and <laughs> gave you an F on it. Anybody ever been there? No? Am I the only one? Okay, that's good. Cool. <laughs> Those theology papers, man, they're beasts. Maybe, maybe it's like you feel someone else is taking off in life, but you feel stuck. You feel stranded, like everybody is just moving beyond where you are. Those are discouraging situations, and the truth is we all face them from time to time. We all do, whether big or small, discouragement is a part of life. And because situations like that are a part of our life, you know, it's not really that big of a deal when we face things like that in these isolated incidents, when we face discouragement, but then we're okay. The danger with discouragement is when it feels like it's all happening at once, right? And it, it moves from an isolated incident to a season of discouragement. When it feels like discouragement is happening on repeat, it's the only song playing in your world. It's one discouraging situation after another. You get bad news, and before you're even able to process it, you get more bad news on top of what you've already been trying to deal with. Anybody know what I'm talking about today? You go through a discouraging season, and see, the discouraging season, that's where things get dangerous because discouragement, if it's left unchecked, has the ability to produce something far worse in us, far, far more destructive, far more debilitating than just a moment of discouragement. A season of discouragement can produce hopelessness in us. And when, it, when life feels hopeless, see, that's where we lose our will and our desire to keep on living because we just feel Hopeless. And the truth is, we're facing a pandemic of hopelessness in our world right now. People are not happy, and they don't know how to be happy. But the bigger issue is, 
they don't know how to find hope. They don't have a reason to feel hope. So it's just this hopelessness, this cloud of discouragement that never really lifts off of them. And see, I think hopelessness kind of feels like living your life in a pit. You feel stuck in this pit while it seems like everybody else is just going on with their lives and everybody else is getting along just fine. You're stuck in this pit with no way to get yourself out. And that pit of discouragement just feels like it's getting deeper and deeper and deeper. I've told you throughout this series that if Christ is living on the inside of you, that means that you've got resurrection power on the inside of you, which means you can come back from anything. Literally, resurrection power is bringing you back from that place of death or that place of doubt or whatever it might be. I absolutely believe that's true. And while discouragement and hopelessness may cause you to feel like you're living in a pit with no way out, let me tell you what the Bible says in Psalms chapter 103, verse 1. I love this psalm. David begins, he says, praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all my benefits. He's the God who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Now watch this. He's the God who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. I love this psalm. And one of the reasons why is because it so wonderfully describes the nature of the God that we serve. Because these things that this psalm mentions, talking about forgiveness and healing and redemption, those are not just what God, God does for us. That's, that's who he actually is. That is his nature. He's the God who forgives your sins because he is a God of mercy and love. He is the God who heals your diseases because his name is Jehovah Rapha, the God, my healer, the God who heals. He is the Lord, my healer. That's his name. And he's the God who also redeems our lives. Watch, because redeemer is his nature. It's not just what he does. It's who he is. That means that it's impossible. It's impossible for God to leave you in the pit where he finds you. Because his nature won't allow him to leave you there. He's the God who will bring you out of that place of discouragement and despair. And so when it feels like you're in this season where life is just piling on and discouragement is mounting and hopelessness is, is setting in and that pit just seems like it's getting deeper and deeper, that feeling of hopelessness and death, that is not the end of my story because God's nature is going to cause him to come and find me and pull me out. He's going to bring me out. And when he does, according to the psalmist, he crowns my head with love and compassion. See, that right there, that's a comeback experience. You go from the pit of discouragement to the palace with a crown on your head. That's the God that we serve. Discouragement and hopelessness, we all feel it from time to time. Listen, it might last for a night, but the Bible says joy is coming in the morning. So you can come back from the place of discouragement because you serve a God who redeems your life from the pit. That's what I want to talk about today. There's a character in the Bible that so perfectly demonstrates this. He went through seasons of major disappointment in his life, and he was able to come back from it. Today, I want to talk about Joseph. And so if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, I encourage you to, to turn to Genesis chapter 37. That's where his story begins. And we're going to read some scripture from Genesis 37 through 41 uh, over the course of the message. But I love Joseph's story because he literally found himself in a pit of discouragement. Three times in his life, three separate times, Joseph found himself in a pit of discouragement, and he was still able to come back from it. So let's start right there. Three pits of discouragement. The first pit that Joseph found himself in was the pit of rejection. The pit of 
rejection. Now, I can't think of anything that hurts more emotionally than rejection. It's probably my greatest fear in life is the fear of rejection. I remember the pain and the sting of rejection uh, even from being an early child. I, I, early in my childhood. Yeah, that's the way to say it. I remember the sting of rejection from early in my childhood. I remember what it felt like to, to not feel like you were wanted, to not feel like you were good enough, feel like you, you're not good enough to be on the team. Anybody else felt something like that? You felt like, I'm not, I'm not loved, I'm not wanted. That's the sting of rejection. And Joseph felt that sting of rejection too when he was rejected by his own family members, his own flesh and blood. His brothers rejected him. They rejected him because they were jealous of him. That's exactly what the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 37 verse 11. It says very clearly, it says his brothers were jealous of him. Now here's why they were jealous of him. Verse 3 tells us that their father, Jacob, Loved Joseph more than he loved the other brothers. He had him late in life. He was an old guy when he had Joseph. And so, and, and to his brothers, Joseph was the favorite child. Now, here's, here's what happened. See, this is kind of what the situation was. It's one of those things where you think you're kind of done having kids, right? Jacob had had 10 already, 10 boys, right? I mean, you think, okay, we're done here. And then you end up having another one. Now, now Jacob is a grandpa at this point. So his fathering style with Joseph is very, very different than what it was with the other 10 boys. You know, because we tend to mellow out as we get older. And so we're way more chill <laughs> with, with kids. I see it with my, my father. He was pretty strict on us as kids. But when my, my kids, he's just like, oh, who cares? They're kids. Let them have fun. And I'm like, who is this man? And what have you done with my father? You know, that's kind of like I see it with Jacob. He was, you know, Joseph probably had more privilege than they did growing up. He, he, he got to do things. He had favor from his father, and they were jealous of him because of that. That would make anybody jealous. But that wasn't the only reason they were jealous. They were also jealous of Joseph because he wore a coat of many colors. Now, your Bible might say a, a, uh, a highly ornamented robe. Now, we don't really know. The Bible, Bible scholars really don't know how to translate that. They're just like, okay, it was, it was colorful, and maybe it had like ornaments on it somehow. You know, what we know is that, uh, that people back in that day and age, they all wore robes. That was a very normal thing. And Bible scholars have told us that most robes back then were probably short sleeve. They were one color, something like earth tone, something like Dwight Schrute would wear, something tan or brown, something like that. And they came to just about the knee. They would stop right above the knee. Well, Bible scholars believe that Joseph's robe was long sleeve, and it was colorful, and, uh, and it came down to his ankles. It, it wasn't like anybody else's robe. It was something more like a king would wear. It was something like oh, someone from a royal family would wear. It was something that probably looked kind of like this. That's right. This is an actual photo that we found in the Dead Sea Scrolls in the caves, and this is Joseph. No, I'm just kidding. This is this is the nature boy, Ric Flair, if you don't know, and you ought to know. And Joseph, just like Ric Flair, he didn't just wear his robe. He pranced in his robe. He came walking out like this. Woo! He was, he was feeling it when he came walking out there with his brothers. Long sleeves down to the ankles and just sparkling. It was, fab, it was a fabulous robe. But seriously, the brothers were jealous because Joseph had a better robe than they did. And that's not all. There was a third reason the brothers were jealous of Joseph, and it comes out in Genesis chapter 37, verse 5. Look at it. It says, Joseph had a dream. 
And when he told it to his brothers, watch this, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly the sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. The brothers were jealous of Joseph because he had a gift that they didn't have. He had dreams from God and the ability to interpret what those dreams meant. Now check this out. When you start walking in your giftedness and God's calling on your life, you will draw resentment from others who have not yet discovered their own God-given giftedness and calling. You will. The brothers were jealous of Joseph because of his dreams. And while that's true, it's also important to note that Joseph did not help the situation. In fact, Joseph made things much worse. If you look at, back at verse 8 there in Genesis 37, it says they hated him because of his dreams. That's true. His God-given giftedness, yes, it caused resentment. It caused them to hate him. But it was also because of what he had said. See, Joseph lacked wisdom in his youth. And he didn't really know how to steward the gift of God that was developing in him. See, wisdom would have said, let's not share this dream with the brothers who already hate you, man. Let's not tell them that they're going to bow down to you, okay? Wisdom would have said, maybe don't prance around your brothers in your awesome robe, Joseph. Maybe save that one for special occasions, right? They, they don't have a robe like that. Maybe keep that one in your closet. Wisdom would have said, maybe go out and work with your brothers from time to time when they're out there tending their, uh, their sheep and tending their flocks and doing all that kind of stuff instead of just playing around the house all day because you're the favored son. Anybody else have a little brother or a little sister and they didn't have to do what you had to do? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe go out there and work with them a little bit. While gifted, Joseph lacked some wisdom in his young life, and his lack of wisdom got him in trouble. But regardless of that, the brothers were jealous of him, and their jealousy turned into hatred, and their hatred turned into anger, and their anger turned into rage, and then the unthinkable happened. When Jacob asked Joseph to go and find his brothers and report back to him how they were doing, Joseph finally found them at this place called Dothan. And look what happens when he gets there in Genesis 37, 18. It says, the brothers saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him, and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Do you see what they said there? They, they said, here comes that dreamer. See, they were identifying Joseph with the gift that God had put inside of him. And it was causing them to be resentful. The blessing of God on Joseph's life, it made them furious. It made them jealous. So they wanted to kill him, watch this, in order to kill the gift that God had placed inside of him. We'll kill him, and then we'll see what happens to the giftedness. We'll see what happens to the dreams that he says he's having. This part of the story reminds me of what the Scripture says in James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, where James says this. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. See, this scripture is written in the New Testament. This scripture is written for the church. 
You see, we have this same type of jealousy going on amongst the family of God even still today. The enemy of our souls, what he'll try to do is plant a seed of jealousy within us. He will cause us to see the giftedness in others, the blessing of God on their lives. But rather than rejoicing with them because they're walking in their gift, they get jealous, they get mad, and they wish that they had what they see somebody else walking in. James lets us in on something that we all need to realize today. He, he told us that you do not have to despise someone because they have a gift, because God has a gift for you too. He says you have not, not because you're not favored enough or not because you're not good enough. It, it, that's not the reason that you don't have a gift. It's not because you're not blessed enough or that God is withholding it from you. James says you have not because you have not asked God for it. It's not that God favors one person over the other. It's that you haven't taken the time to ask him for a gift and then let him develop that gift in you so that you, be, you can begin to walk it out. You're too busy being jealous and angry at the person who is walking in their giftedness to take time to find your own. I want you to look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 verse 9. He said, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? See, there's plenty of giftings to go around. He's not withholding anything from you. You just have to ask your Father and then allow him the space and time to develop that gift within you. But see, our enemy, the devil, he'll try to get you to look at someone else and compare yourself to them. He'll plant a seed of jealousy in your heart, just like he did with the brothers of Joseph. And listen, that seed of jealousy will take root, and as it begins to spring up in your life, it will produce hatred and resentment towards other people that you're called to do life with, not against. A seed of jealousy can only take root in us when our focus is on someone else. See, if you're focused on God and what he's doing in your life, a seed of jealousy has no place to take root. It only happens when our focus is on the wrong thing. It's your desire to have, but you don't have, so you kill. And that's exactly what was driving the brothers in Genesis 37. They were driven by jealousy and hatred, so they jumped Joseph when he walked up. The Bible says they stripped that robe off of him. They roughed him up. They threw him down into an old, dried-up cistern. It was essentially an empty well. It was a literal, actual pit in the ground. Think about it. Joseph went from living at the top of his world, favored and loved by his father, walking in a coat, in a robe that told the whole world that he was special, walking in his God-given giftedness and purpose. He went from that to being thrown down into a pit. His world came crashing down on him when he was thrown into that pit of rejection. Let me ask you something today. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt rejected by people? Maybe it was... Rejection from a family member, just like Joseph went through. Maybe you felt rejected by a parent. Maybe it was a sibling. Maybe it was a spouse. You felt rejected. And you felt that sting of rejection. Maybe for you it wasn't a family thing. Maybe it was rejection at work. And it just seems like you're continually getting passed over. I've been there. That place of discouragement. Maybe it was rejection from friends or people that you admired and looked, looked up to, and you, you wanted to be like them. You wanted to be with them, and they wanted nothing to do with you. Nothing stings our hearts quite like the sting of rejection. And what happens when we feel rejected is we get discouraged, and discouragement feels like a pit that we can't easily climb our way out of. 
I want you to know Jesus dealt with this too, by the way. The Bible says that he was despised and rejected. He was a man whom people hid their faces from. Jesus knew what it felt like to be rejected. It was crowds of people that followed him and adored him and hung on his every word. They disappeared when it came time for him to hang on a cross. And this is something that I'm learning when we go through rejection from people. That's fellowship with God by sharing in his suffering that Paul was talking about in Philippians chapter 3. See, we get to know Jesus in a more intimate way when we go through the same things that he went through because he meets us there in that place of need. The brother's jealousy and rejection of Joseph caused them to throw him into this cistern, this pit. They wanted to kill him, but the oldest brother, the Bible tells us, Reuben, he intervened. He said, guys, let's not kill him. He said, I'll get in trouble if you kill him. Don't kill him. Let's just leave him in there for a little while. Let's teach him a lesson. And Reuben said, I'm going to go get him out later. And we don't really know where Reuben went. Reuben disappeared. And while he was gone, the Bible says that there was this group of travelers, these slave traders that were coming down the road, and the brothers that were still there, they said, hey, this is perfect. We don't have to kill him, but we can still get rid of him forever. They pulled Joseph out of that cistern, and they sell him to this group of travelers for 20 pieces of silver. They sell their own brother as a slave. And then they took his robe. They made sure it was good and ripped up. They poured blood all over it, and they presented it to their father, Jacob, to make it look like Joseph had been mauled and killed by some wild animal. All of that happened because they were jealous of him, and their jealousy led them to reject him. The Bible says in Genesis 39 that the slave traders took Joseph down to Egypt where they sold him to a wealthy man named Potiphar. And that leads us to the second pit of discouragement that uh, Joseph found himself in. It was the pit of misrepresentation. The pit of misrepresentation. He went from a pit of rejection to a pit of misrepresentation. You know, when Joseph got to the house of Potiphar, even though he had been rejected by his own family and sold as a slave, he still had the blessing of God on his life. The Bible's very clear about that. The Bible says that Joseph was successful in everything that he did. And it didn't take long for Potiphar to notice that everything he does turns out to be gold. And so he makes him the overseer of his household. He put him in charge of everything that he had. Well, Potiphar's wife also took notice of Joseph. And she liked him and she wanted to sleep with him. And so she repeatedly tried to entice him to go to bed with her. And Joseph repelled her time and time and time again. He would not do it. He said, it would be a sin against God for me to do that with you. And finally, after several attempts, uh, attempts of trying to get Joseph into her bed, she grabbed him one day and he took off running, right? And when he took off running, she pulled his cloak off of him. And she, she had it in her hands, and she was so furious, she was so full of rage because Joseph was saying no to her that she accused him of something that he didn't do. She said, he's the one who came on to me. He came in here, in here and tried to rape me, and I, fighting him off, I grabbed his cloak. And Potiphar comes home from work, and he's like, honey, how was your day? And she was like, it was awful because Joseph, that slave that you brought into our house, tried to rape me. So what does Potiphar do? He takes Joseph, he has him thrown in prison. It's a pit of misrepresentation. Once again, for the second time, in a very short span, Joseph finds himself in a pit. A pit of misrepresentation, a pit of being lied on. Joseph did the right thing, but then he suffered for it. Let me ask you something. Have you ever been there? You did the right thing, but you suffered for it because you were misrepresented. 
You were lied about. You were, you were lied on. Maybe people made judgments about you and your motives based on the testimony of someone who was lying to them about you. They were misrepresenting you, and though you did nothing wrong, now you're walking through this season where people are looking at you in this shameful way because of what someone else said to them about you. That's what Joseph was going through. And I've been there too. I know what it feels like to be misrepresented, to be lied about. It doesn't feel good. It's pretty discouraging. You do the right thing, but then you still have to suffer for it. That's what Joseph is going through here. He gets thrown into this prison, but the same thing happens in the prison that happened in Potiphar's house. Everything that he does is blessed. The success of God just follows him with everything that he does. And so the head guard notices that, and he puts Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners. And it's not long after he was put in charge that two men were thrown into prison from the palace of Pharaoh himself. They were accused of trying to poison the king. It was the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. They get thrown into prison. And while they're there, they both have dreams from God. And they told Joseph their dreams. And he was able to interpret them with perfect accuracy. And to the cupbearer, he said, your dream means that you're about to be restored to your place in the palace. God is about to take you out of this dungeon. And he's going to put you back into the palace. And then to the baker, he said, your dream means that you're about to be executed. And it happened just like Joseph said it would. The baker was killed, and on that same day, the cupbearer was restored to his position. And Joseph had asked the cupbearer, he said, remember me when you get out of here. Will you tell Pharaoh about me? Because I'm not even, I'm not even Egyptian. I'm not even from here. I was sold into slavery by my brother. He told him the whole story. I was thrown into prison. I didn't do anything wrong. Tell Pharaoh about this so that I can get out. But look at Genesis chapter 40, verse 23. It says, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And that leads us to the third pit of discouragement that Joseph found himself in. It was the pit of being forgotten. The pit of being forgotten. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like you've been left behind? You've been forgotten. You've been overlooked while others seem to be getting promoted. You feel stuck in life while others seem to be on the highway to success. That can be so discouraging. The cupbearer was so appreciative of Joseph that he forgot all about him. It reminds me, this part of the story reminds me of when we were just starting out our church. We were just in the early stages of planting Life Chapel. And listen, I'm not going to lie to you. Pastoring is not an easy thing to do. It's pretty tough sometimes. It can be hard because you're dealing with people. And you guys know you don't like people. <laughs> so as a pastor, you got to find out, you got to figure out a way to love people, right? Um, you can't have an off day. You can't have a bad day. No, no. But, you know, you're trying to plant this church. You're trying to get it going. And well-meaning pastors would, would reach out and they'd say, hey, man, we're so proud of you and we want to help you. We're going to send a check in the mail. We're going we're gonna to send this. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And I, you know, I would be waiting for this because we need it. Like, I feel like we're not going to make it. You know, it's the early stages of this church plant. And, and, and I learned really quick that these people are well-meaning, but not to hold your breath waiting on a check from them because it ain't coming. And I had these wrestling matches with God like, Lord, why, why do they say this? Do they not understand what that makes me feel in my heart? It would be so much better if they just said nothing. Just be like, hey, bud, good to see you. And just go on about your day. Don't be like, hey, we're real proud of you and we're going to send you some money. You know, 
It, it, it just made me feel like I was forgotten. It's one thing to feel like you've been forgotten by others, but let me ask you this. Have you ever felt forgotten by God? I have. You feel like, you feel like he's just forgotten you. That his blessing that used to be in your life is now on somebody else, and you're just, you don't matter to him anymore. David felt that way at times. If you read the Psalms, multiple times you read things like this in Psalms chapter 106, verse 4. David's saying, remember me, Lord, remember me. When you show favor to your people, come to my aid. When you save them, it'd be great if you could save me too. What's the context here? David is out in the desert. He's running for his life. He's surrounded by his enemies. He can't go to sleep at night because he's afraid he's going to get killed. He is literally by himself in a desert running for his life. And he sees God is blessing this person and God is blessing that person. And his favor is over here and God's working here. And Saul's trying to kill me, but yet he's still the king and he's got all this favor on his life. Lord, it would be great while you're saving everybody else if you could remember me too and save me. He said this in Psalm chapter 13, verse 1. He said, how long, Lord? How long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Or this one in Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you recognize that verse? You recognize those words? Those were the very words of Jesus on the cross moments before he breathed his last breath. God, where are you? Father, what did I do to deserve this? I feel forgotten. Joseph felt it. David felt it. Jesus felt it. Listen, you and I, we're going to feel that way from time to time too. Particularly when things don't go like we planned for them to go. Or they don't happen according to our schedule or our timeline. Those are the moments when we feel forgotten by God. And if we're not careful, that feeling of being forgotten will land us in a pit of despair and the enemy will seize upon that moment and he'll get into our heads with lies that cause us to believe that we have actually been forsaken by God, that he doesn't actually care about us, that really he just passes us on by. He sees us in this pit, but he doesn't care. He's not going to lift a finger to help us. He's just going to help somebody else. Don't bother God. He's too busy for you. It's in those moments of our vulnerability. See, that's where the enemy shows up and gets in our heads and he begins to attack us relentlessly. It's in those moments where we're vulnerable and we know we are that we must find a way to remember and recall the promises of God in Scripture because the Bible says the promises of God are yes and amen. It is impossible for God to not follow through on a promise. I'm talking about things like this. It says he will never leave you nor forsake you. Promises that says he is a friend that will stick closer than a brother. Brother, regardless of what we may feel in the moment. It's always a lie that God has forgotten you because the truth is he is right there with you. Wherever you find yourself, I promise you, God is right there with you. He never leaves our side. When we go through it, he goes through it with us. That's what the writer of Hebrews was talking about when he says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel what we feel and empathize with us in our weakness. You know why? Because he feels it every time we feel it. He goes through it every time we go through it. There's another story in the Old Testament 
about three righteous people who were thrown into a pit of their own for doing the right thing. Theirs was a pit of fire. It was three Hebrew boys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when that evil king who threw them into that pit, when he looked in, he didn't see the three boys he had just thrown into that fire burning up. He saw four men walking around, the scripture says. They were unburned, and he said, the fourth one looks like the Son of God. Come on, somebody. That's what happens when you find yourself in a pit. God is not away from you. He hasn't forgotten you. He is right there with you. I'm telling you, when it seems like others forget you, God never will. And every time you feel forsaken or forgotten by this world, you're just giving God one more chance to show you how good he is. You give him one more opportunity to show you that your success is not going to come because of special favors from people in high places. It won't come because you know all the right people and have all the right connections. It will come. Success will find you because the Spirit of God has moved in your life and in your situation. And when the Spirit of God moves, He takes you from the pit to the palace. He takes you from the place of discouragement to the place of rejoicing. You'll say with David, the Lord has done great things for us. It is the Lord who gets the credit for this one. It's all for His glory. It's what He has done for me. Man won't get the glory because of this. God will. Listen to me. It's not by might. It's not by power. It is by my spirit, declares the Lord. I don't know what you're asking God for right now. I don't know what you've been praying for, but you need to get your eyes off of that one and this one and that person over there and this person said they would help me and that person promised. No, no, no. God is the one who's going to show up and move in your life and reverse the situation and reverse the circumstances and turn everything around and bring you from this place of the pit to the greatest comeback you've ever experienced in your life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I feel so strongly. Some of you are in this place right now. People said this, people said that, and they didn't come through, and you feel forgotten. You feel discouraged. Listen to me. Let, let your heart hear this. You have not been forgotten by God. He has not forgotten you. The truth is you're right where he wants you. You're right where he wants you. He has loved you with an everlasting love. And it's quite possible that they forgot about you so that you could learn a valuable lesson. That though the words of man may fail, it's impossible for the word of God to fail you. Scripture says he will send out his word and it will not return void. It will accomplish what he sent it out to do. If God can send ravens to feed Elijah in the desert and he can send manna to feed the children of Israel while they're walking through the wilderness, he can send his word and ignite a comeback in your story. <laughs> we got to trust him when we feel forgotten. Don't get discouraged. He's still with you. For two years, the Bible says, two years, David sat in that prison, forgotten by the cupbearer, who promised he would remember him. For two years. What Joseph couldn't have known at that time is that it took two years to set things up so that Joseph could come back from the place he had been living. It took two years for God to position the scene that he had set up for Joseph from the very beginning, from the foundations of his own life. Two years after the cupbearer left that prison, he was sitting next to Pharaoh in the palace, and Pharaoh was troubled. And he's just telling the cupbearer, I'm troubled. I had a, I had a bad dream. And the cupbearer was like, tell me about it. So Pharaoh starts telling his dream, and as he's telling him, it dawns on the cupbearer. I know somebody that can help you with this. And he tells him, look, when I was in prison, you threw me in there, by the way. That wasn't cool, but it's, it's good. <laughs> when I was in prison, there was a man in there named Joseph. 
And I had a bad dream too. I woke up, I was screaming nightmare, the whole deal. Joseph comes running in there and he's like, what's going on? How can I help? I told Joseph my dream and he told me what it meant and it happened exactly like he said it would. I bet if we get Joseph and you tell him your dream, he can help you too. And so they send word to the prison. We got to get Joseph right now. They clean him up and they present him to Pharaoh and Pharaoh tells Joseph his dream. And watch this, Joseph interprets it perfectly. And in response to that, Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of everything in Egypt, all the affairs of Egypt, the Bible says. He is second in command to the entire empire, all of that because he used his gift at the right time. And he ends up saving not just the Egyptian people, but even his own people, his own family. That is quite a comeback. You go from the pit three times to the palace. I want you to look again at what the scripture says in Psalms 103.4. He is the God who redeems your life from the pit. This is Joseph. Redeems your life from the pit and puts a crown on your head. Crowns you with love and compassion. Joseph is a living example of that. He went from rejected, misrepresented, and forgotten to the guy calling the shots that everybody else is looking to. What a comeback. How did Joseph do it? How did he keep himself from drowning in a pit of despair and experience this comeback? And more importantly, How can we survive in a season of discouragement and experience our own comeback? Well, there's three truths that I see in the scripture that I want to give you real quick. And here's the first one. Three truths for for surviving discouragement and experiencing a comeback. Number one is the presence of the Lord never left him. The presence of the Lord never left him. Seriously, after everything that he went through, the presence of the Lord was there the whole time. I want you to see it in the scripture. Genesis chapter 39 verse 2. After he was sold as a slave to Potiphar, the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. Genesis 39 and 20, after he was thrown into the prison, the Bible says, but while Joseph was in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness. He granted him favor. Genesis 41 and 38, after Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream, he's standing there in the palace. It says, but while Joseph was in the prison, the Lord was with him. Sorry, that's, that's something I've already read. Pharaoh asked him, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? See, the, the presence of God, the Spirit of God, he never left Joseph. Literally, in every scene in the story, even when it felt like he was living in a pit, he never allowed himself to be overwhelmed with discouragement. How do you do that? You realize, I am not alone in that place. God is with me. He knew that because he had a relationship with God. He had a relationship with God that stretched generations back. See, his God was the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he knew this God made promises to them, and he came through on those promises. That's the same God that's with me right now. And I know if he was faithful to them, he's going to be faithful to me. And literally, the presence of the Lord stayed with him. His favor rested on him, and his blessing followed him everywhere that he went. Friend, listen to me. There is nowhere that you can go to escape the presence of God when you are living in relationship with him. David said, if I go up to the highest heights, you're there. He said, if I go down and make my bed in Sheol, what is Sheol? It's hell. If I were to go down and make my bed in hell, somehow your presence would still be there with me. This is how you and I can come back from discouragement. This is how hopelessness loses its power in your life. You know how? Because the Bible says that Jesus is your living hope. He is your living hope. That means that you never have to deal with hopelessness because you've got the hope of Jesus that never leaves your side. His presence goes with us no matter what. 
I want to read this scripture to you in Romans chapter 8, verse 35. I love this scripture. Paul asked the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then he answers it in verse 37. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither height nor depth, nor, nor death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His presence is with you no matter what you're going through. And listen to me, the minute you believe the lie that you're alone is the minute the enemy is going to seize on you and you're going to be overwhelmed with hopelessness. Joseph knew God is with me. We're talking about how Joseph survived his season of discouragement to experience this comeback. Number one, the presence of the Lord never left him. Here's the second truth in Joseph's story. The gift of God made a way out for him. The gift of God within him made a way out for him. See, this unique giftedness that Joseph had, the ability to dream dreams from the Lord, the ability to interpret those dreams, the ability to discern the will of God, that gift stayed on him no matter what he went through. And at the right time, it came out again. And when it came out again, it made a way for he himself to come out of the pit of discouragement that he had been living in. See, listen to me. When the brothers threw him in the pit and they sold him into slavery, Their desire was to kill the gift of God within him. They wanted to suffocate it out of him so they never had to hear it again. They wanted to stifle it and keep it from coming out again. But the scripture says in Romans chapter 11, verse 29, it says, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. So you can't take the gift of God out of someone once he's put it in there. And just like the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, he said, his word is in my heart and it's like a fire. He said, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. And even if I wanted to hold it in. I can't hold it in. It's got to come out. I can't hold it in any longer. And at just the right time, the gift of God came out of Joseph again. And when it came out of him, it created a way out for him to come out of that pit. Listen, attacks that are meant to kill the gift of God within you, they only serve to make that gift stronger. See, what Joseph went through, what he learned from the rejection of his brothers, was he learned wisdom. He learned to accompany the gift of God within him with wisdom. Everything that he went through taught him that he needed to learn how to use this gift with wisdom. The gift was already there, but Joseph learned how to add wisdom to it. And in Genesis 37, when he first started talking about his dreams and his ability to interpret those dreams, he spoke about those things in order to get glory for himself and to draw attention to himself. But look at the difference later on. If you look at Genesis chapter 40, verse 8, when the cupbearer asked for his help, Joseph response. He says, interpretations belong to God. They belong to God. He's the one who's going to do this. Tell me, tell me your dream, and then you're going to see what God does. And then again, in Genesis chapter 41, verse 16, when Pharaoh asked him if he could interpret his dream, Joseph showed even more wisdom here. Joseph responds to him when he says, can you interpret this dream? Joseph says, I cannot do it. I cannot do it, but God will. I can't do it, but God will. See, they tried to kill the gift within him, but all they did was make that gift even stronger. Let me tell you something. There is no limit to what God will use you to do if you make sure that he gets the glory for it. And he gets all the honor and he gets all the credit. There's no limit to what he'll use you to do. How did Joseph survive this season 
of discouragement and experience the comeback that he did. Number one, the presence of the Lord never left him. Number two, the gift of God, it stayed with him and it came out at just the right moment and it made a way out for him. And here's the third truth. Joseph came back because he didn't let his heart become poisoned. He didn't turn on people. Think about it. Joseph had multiple opportunities to become vengeful, to repay people for what they did to him. He had multiple opportunities to do it, but he never did. Joseph remained righteous through it all. Jesus said, you'll know a a tree by the fruit it bears. That's not speaking of circumstances. That's speaking of character. Circumstances change, but your character is who you really are. You'll know a tree by the fruit it bears. And Joseph's character never wavered no matter what he was facing, no matter what he went through. Listen to me. Sometimes God will let us go through something just to test the contents of our character. If you don't believe me, read the book of Job. He'll allow you to go through it just to test your character. And through it all, Joseph never lost his heart. He never became angry and vengeful over what he had gone through. And then years later, when his brothers came to Egypt looking for help, they were looking for help because there was this worldwide famine going on and they were starving to death. And they thought, you know, we'll see if there's grain in Egypt. And so they go to, they go to Egypt looking for help. Guess who they had to stand before? It was Joseph, the brother that they betrayed and sold into slavery. Now they're standing in front of him asking for his help. Joseph had every right to have them killed on the spot. All he had to do was snap his fingers and soldiers would have come rushing in and they would have killed them all. But he didn't do it. This is what Joseph said in Genesis chapter 50, verse 19. He said to his brothers, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. I want the band to come up. And as they come, I want you to hear me. This is a huge key to not sinking in a pit of despair. This is huge. You've got to get this today. Because what got Joseph out of the pit that he found himself in time and time again is that his heart never turned on people. Even the people who had hurt him the most, he understood vengeance is not mine. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. He understood I'm not sitting in the seat of power so that I can pay them back for what they've done to me. He understood I'm sitting in the seat of power so that I can show them kindness and mercy in their time of need, regardless of what they've done to me. He knew I'm in this seat so that I can save them and save our people. See, when we get angry and we look for payback after we've been mistreated, the pit only gets deeper. The mud only gets thicker. The prison only gets darker. And we never really get out of it. We, we go from one pit that someone else was responsible for throwing us in to a pit of our own making. That's what unforgiveness is. You'll live the rest of your life in a prison or in a pit, stuck there. I want you to think about Jesus on the cross. He's hanging there, and he looks out over the landscape of the most tragic scene in the history of humankind. He sees people mocking him. sees people laughing, making fun of him. 
People are literally killing him, and he has done nothing wrong. Jesus looked at them. He made eye contact with them, and what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We must do the same thing if we're going to experience a comeback from discouragement. Listen to me. Forgiveness, mercy, and grace, those are the pathways for your comeback. I know it's hard to think about that when you feel like you've been put in a pit by someone else, that they've they've mistreated you, they've done something wrong. Forgiveness, mercy, grace, kindness, prayer, love, those are the pathways that get you out of that pit and put you in a palace, put you right where God wants you to be. You can't let your heart turn on people. The Bible says, humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up.